Hey you, welcome to Taylor Shapers of Influence podcast, where we discuss the people, places, and things that will influence us. We'll dissect the integrated worlds of marketing, pop culture, and everything in between, from fashion, to sports, to entertainment. We're not only creating conversations, we're leading them too. Join us. In our last podcast, we spoke quite a bit about sports betting. And in this conversation, we're going to focus on another subject that is disrupting the college sports landscape, and that is name image likeness, or NIL. Needless to say, thanks to legislation which opened the door to NIL, sports marketing in the collegiate ranks has changed forever. So you've got college athletes now who are doing all kinds of deals, local deals with with restaurants and car dealerships and what have you, to companies like our client partner, Panini America, which started to do some trading card deals with athletes as well. So that it, it really runs the gamut. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that. And first of all, like your thoughts on does this does or how does this give a competitive advantage to the power five schools? Is this a case of the rich getting richer because they now have an even greater advantage in terms of recruitment, especially if they're in a state where NIL has been state regulated and been state approved? So I think that part of it is what's more important. If NIL were regulated in all the states, I actually think this is something that would maybe balance the playing field a little bit because you're able to Duke, North Carolina, a lot of these for basketball purposes, a lot of these blue bloods will always continue to be those blue bloods. But once you kind of step away and you start to look at some of the other sports, uh, maybe the non-revenue generating sports, whether it be volleyball or baseball, like that's really where the athlete themselves can really stand out. And you're starting to see a little bit of it now because a, a lot of t- excuse me, a lot of athletes who have those strong social followings, regardless of the sport, whether it's on Instagram or it's on uh, TikTok, are really commanding large dollars and, and large partnerships. Most, and those are few and far between. Like you said, there's a lot of these deals are, are, are a couple hundred bucks. A lot of times it's just product or food or what have you. Free meal. You know, it, it, yeah. it doesn't take much, but being able to kind of generate your own financial gains for a lot of these athletes is, is truly awesome. And it, it does a lot of things that, maybe help them become a little bit more financially responsible. It's going to help that messaging because what we also see a lot is a lot of this talent coming out of college, whether they're going to the NFL or the NBA and kind of with some of the clients that we work with, they aren't PR trained. So being able to kind of get that messaging across, whether it's through social or whether it's through different media tours or what have you. So this is something that's really going to help them in the long run as well. But looking at different schools, it's really muddy right now because there's still so much to figure out. There's still so much to learn and all the state's rules are different. So I'm curious to see how this continues to grow over the next couple of years since this is what, six, eight months old at this point in time. But it's it's, it's very interesting to say the least. It is confusing to most, but will be interesting to see kind of how uh, a lot of these teams in schools start to kind of navigate these waters. And also how marketers are going to navigate the waters. We talked about sports betting in our previous podcast. I mean, are, are we going to see are we going to see more and more market take a bet, if you will, on an athlete while they're in college and say, you know, we're going to uh, embrace this athlete and enter into a partnership with a bet that this athlete is going to go on to do bigger and better things when they become professional, sort of get in with them early. Now, you could also argue that that could go terribly wrong. You place a bet. We've seen it many times, especially in college football. Guy enters uh, his 
senior season or whatever is his last season before the draft and he's a Heisman Trophy favorite. And three weeks later, he's nowhere to be seen or heard. So there's a little bit of a, a risk there. Now you're not you're not investing as many as many dollars of nearly as much as if you were if the athlete were a professional athlete. But you know, it can leave egg on your face if you're getting behind an athlete and they they don't perform at all. It's, well, it's maybe it could also sour certain marketers on, on taking this approach. And, and we're starting to see a, like two very quick examples of that are Oklahoma's quarterback Spencer Rattler before this even started projected to be a very high pick top. 10 pick in the NFL. He's had a number of different NIL deals and, and due to kind of his poor, poor, his poor play, even though the team is still undefeated and top four, top five in the country, he's since been benched. And with these NIL deals, they cannot be dependent on the player's on-field performance. So he may be getting paid X amount of dollars, but now these companies really aren't seeing much of return. He's not playing. And we're starting to maybe see a little bit of the same thing with, with Clemson. Had a huge awesome Dr. Pepper deal. He was in their uh, Dr. Pepper TBC, their, their TV commercial still is, and Clemson's not playing well. So sure, that that's the risk that you run. And to your point, that's maybe no different than you do. And that's no different than what people do or brands and companies do for uh, professional athletes. You're really taking the risk. Like you said, the egg on your face is certainly interesting and it won't sit well, but it will cause people to reevaluate and brands how to reevaluate the NIL space. Maybe we don't invest as much or the deal isn't as long. So there's going to be a lot of trial and error here, which is, is no surprise for all parties involved. But it is something that's to continue to keep a, a very close eye on, especially as the college basketball season is going to start in a couple of weeks as well. One advantage I see, and you might think this is wishful thinking, but I think for some athletes to have a, a marketing partner when you're still in college, can give you more of a runway to, to really understand how to work with a marketing partner. Now, it's going to take some athletes who are, who are pretty savvy and understand what's at stake to really take advantage of that, other than just taking the money, reading a script for a radio spot or whatnot, and then it's done or getting free product. You, you give a young person a year in college with a marketing partner, they go into the pros are a little more polished now. And now I think those athletes will probably be few and far between. You'll get a few real gems out of that. And uh, imagine that if you have an athlete who comes out of a year in college and they already get it, they understand the marketing relationship and the marketing partnership, and they've had a little media training and they've made a few public appearances and they understand the importance of, of marrying your integrity with the integrity of the brand. I mean, these are, these are all the kind of things that are, that are, Sort of, you know, you'd think non-negotiable in an, in an athlete-sponsor relationship, but it, it fails the majority of the time because the athletes just, they're, they're either not the right fit, they're not prepared, their success was overestimated. But you take a Zion Williamson. Now, if, if Zion had NIL deals in his one year at Duke, and he would have had many if that was allowed then, I don't know how much seasoning he needed because he's just that rare individual of, of, of talent and, and, and personality and charisma and smarts and everything. But I think there are a number of athletes who would have really benefited them if they had that little bit of a runway to work with a marketing partner while it was still. Absolutely. And, and looking ahead, what you're starting to see a lot of now is a lot of these, a lot of companies and specifically like sports agencies and talent represent talent representation firms kind of starting like a little NIL representation and advising a lot of these college athletes 
in their marketing deals. So it's a, a very interesting space for a lot of these agencies to be in because there's a lot of red tape that they'll also be able to navigate. The crux of the sports marketing piece is something that they'll really be able to speak to and negotiate on behalf of uh, a lot of these student athletes. And it's kind of tricky, right? For so long, you couldn't really mix agents with college athletes. And, and to see some of these sports agencies start to develop these relationships with the talent from an NIL perspective, it then becomes a little pipeline for the agencies and the athletes potentially to, to go to school, work with agency X to get a car deal, work with agency X to get a local restaurant deal. And then when it's time for them to kind of graduate or look to, to head into the NBA or NFL draft or what have you, they've been working with this agent for two or three years or this agency for two or three years. So they already have that, that rapport uh, and that respect and they know kind of what they can do for me. So it's interesting to see how many different layers and how many different entities are affected positively by the NIL ruling as we continue to kind of get a better understanding of how it works. So um, super beneficial for the athletes. Uh, it's great for them to, I think, to be able to, to kind of profit off of their name, image, and likeness to a small portion of what the NCAA has been able to do off their name, image, and likeness forever. So I'm very excited to kind of see how this continues to grow and who continues to benefit. Yeah. Speaking of which, you know, women's athletics in colleges, I mean, do you see this as a benefit for number one, women's athletics of, of helping raise the profile of the athletes in the sports? And likewise, and this doesn't necessarily apply to women's athletics, maybe a little more so, but sort of those non-revenue generating sports that could use a little, obvious little boost and a higher profile. Do you see this as, as potentially having a real impact? Hands down, but really the, the cream of the crop. And it seems, and I think that goes both on the men's side and the women's side. But if you're able to, and that's where that, that large social following kind of comes in, because I, I remember reading an article not too long ago about some of the highest paid college athletes from an NIL perspective. And one of them is like an LSU gymnast. I forget her name, Olivia Dunn, I believe her name is, but uh, saying that she was going to assign a deal for four to five million dollars. And there's two, I think, Fresno State is basketball players who are twins who have a very significant social media following on Instagram, on TikTok, who have signed a number of different deals to this point and then bringing in, I think, between them close to a million dollars thus far in their season hasn't started yet. So I do think that that's really where this playing field will be kind of equal. And I think that in many cases, you'll see a lot of top uh, women athletes and women collegiate out earning a lot of the top men's collegiate athletes, save for maybe some of the top college football players. So it's, it's cool to kind of see that and kind of bring the light to some of those non-revenue generating sports. It, it's cool to see how we'll be able to bring in some new viewers to the women's NCAA, to gymnastics, to volleyball, to softball, because it's like, hey, I saw that person. I saw her on an ad or I saw that tweet because they have a deal with company X. So it, it, it's certainly a great opportunity to, to kind of get that notoriety that's been long deserves. And as we continue to see viewership for women's sports increase across the board, this is only going to help. Great. Well, Ron, I want to close by just asking you one question. 
The World Series starts tomorrow in Houston, the Braves, the Astros. Probably not the matchup that MLB was looking for. They're probably, I think, like all of us were when the playoffs started, more like Yankees-Dodgers, Red Sox-Dodgers. But it's still a, a compelling series between two teams that are probably not the most well-liked across America. We might be uh, Bions fans, uh, not like Yes. <laughs> so there's that. So it's probably going to be, and I'm sorry to say, one of the lowest rated television-wise, just being that you have a smallish market team in Atlanta and Houston is by no means a small market, but they always kind of felt like a small market team. And because of the recent scandals, not the most well-liked, most popular team, despite the fact that they're in incredibly talented and done an amazing job of building that organization. When you think about the fact that when they won the World Series in 17, they had Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander at the top of their rotation. Those guys are long gone. I mean, Verlander's been injured and Cole's with the Yankees, yet here they are. Just uh, a very different type of approach to pitching. I think baseball has, as they've been, look, they've struggled for decades in, in many respects of building the fan base, especially the younger fan base. The Gen Z is really eroded. Games start late. They, what is like, is there something that can come out of this World Series that can really help? energize a younger fan base and start to send the, the World Series back in the direction of being one, one of the jewels of American sports that it always has been and should be. But let's face it, it's lost some of its luster, a, a lot of its luster in recent decades. But is there anything that can happen in this series that can, that can start to move things in the right direction? We need seven incredibly exciting games. We need lots of on-field drama, nothing. We need two completely different teams. But I think it's going to be fun. It's unfortunate when you look at a team like the Braves, who their best player, Ronald Acuna, tore his ACL early in the year. And the casual fan does not know that, but he is wildly talented and arguably one of the best players in baseball and will become, if not he. And so terrific story for, for that Braves team who didn't win a, a ton of games. I think they had the least amount of wins in it. I mean, 88 wins, and I don't want to remind us of this, but, you know, the 2000 Yankees that beat the Mets, I think they had 87 wins. Yep. The Twins in 87 had like 84 wins, and the Cardinals in 2006, another team that beat the Mets in the NLCS, had like 86 wins. Baseball can be a funny sport that way. The team with the most wins rarely wins the World Series. This isn't like the NFL or the NBA, where more often than not, it's that does happen. But I agree with everything you said, an incredibly exciting series, but baseball needs more star power, individual star power. It doesn't have that. And you look at the Astros and even the Braves. I mean, they're loaded with really exciting talent. I mean, Freddie Freeman, is, he's a Hall of Famer. Jose, Jose Carlos Correa is, is well on his way, but you also have guys like Eddie Rosario and Adam Duvall who are in-season pickups who, they're not household names. That star power and that star quality helps. And I, I don't think you can necessarily create a star overnight in one series, but it can certainly give you a boost and give you a lift into the next it, season. It certainly can. And, and I think what baseball tends to, to suffer from, and that's probably not the right word to use, it's very regional. And all baseball, like their fans are hyper-specific to their areas. I'm a massive Mets fan, and I pay more attention to the Mets than I do to baseball. Now, I know enough to be dangerous. I know more than your, your average fan probably does about both teams that are uh, in the playoffs or all eight teams that were in the playoffs. But even still, I'm a Mets fan. That's why I'm a baseball fan. Whereas you look at other sports and everyone else, they're either fans of individual players, um, which you see a lot of on an NBA side, or the NFL is the NFL. And they're just a beast and a monster and a behemoth. So baseball's tough. And I, I think what they've 
done is understand kind of where their strength, which is on that that local in that in those local markets. But we really do need someone to kind of break through. And for a long time, everybody wanted it to be. And because he is when he's often the best player in the sport. Well, if it's not going to be Mike Trout, like who is it? A Mookie Betts? Is it a Ronald Acuna? It's is probably it Aaron not. Judge. Yeah, is exactly. it Aaron Judge? It's tough. They're trying. Uh, I think that some teams and leagues just do it better than baseball. And I think that some of these other teams, specifically NBA and maybe on the NFL side, it just seems like we just get a little bit more of their personalities than we do of baseball players. So it's just trying to figure out how can we change that since we have so many months with these baseball. Players. Yeah. Well, maybe in a few years it'll be Francisco Lindor. Okay. Let's. Yeah. Let's yeah absolutely. And you know what? If, if I had one ask of baseball, I know it's not going to happen, but I, I think it would just be wonderful is, is to once again, just once, have a day game for the World Series. And and I'm not talking about a I'm not talking about a, a five o'clock a five o'clock start in LA. Start. No, yeah. I'm talking about even a four o'clock start like in Boston or New York where the shadows are starting to cover the field. I mean, it's just, it's a wonderful thing. I know they're not going to do it, but that really is something special about October baseball when it's played in daylight on the East Coast. That I think would, it just is a whole different field. You can smell the autumn air when you're watching the game, even on television. And it's just, that would be my one ask. Just once, you know, once in the first four games, have a day game. And I think it'll make a difference. And I think people will, won't have to, to stay up till uh, midnight to watch the end of a game. So that's the killer. That's the killer. And this has been great. I look forward to our next conversation on another subject matter in the world of sports. I'd love to just do a podcast on the Mets, but I'm not sure who would listen. We'll listen. That's fine. That's plenty. There you go. That's enough. Okay. Thanks, Ron. This has been a lot of fun here on the Taylor Shapers of Influence podcast. We'll do it again. Thanks a lot. Well, that wraps up this episode of Taylor Shapers of Influence. To learn more about what we do at Taylor, you can find us at taylorstrategy.com. Looking for more episodes of the podcast? Find us wherever you stream stuff. We're on iTunes and other major streaming platforms. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Taylor Strategy. Thanks for stopping by and tuning in. Peace.